Burks on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK from Tamastin and all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day. Welcome to the Run TMC podcast. That is the Run the Marin County podcast. I am Dustin Ballard and I am a logophile. And with me is my good friend and fellow logophile and coach, Dave Levine. How are you, Dave? I'm excellent. Thank you. Am I a bibliophile? Is that a lover of books? Or is it a lover of the Bible? I think, I think it's a lover of books. Yeah. Well, you are a Christian youth organization coach, Dave, so maybe you should be both. True. We, nice foreshadowing that we are going to talk a little bit about CYO today. So so that's good. But yes, Duff, I'm great. Good to see you. Nice to see you. You're talking more softly today. Is that, pur- is that purposeful? Trying. I take <laughs> feedback very seriously. I have the microphone away from me. All right. All right. Well, let's jump into it. So last episode was episode 22 with Coach Pribble in our sponsor drive. We have uh, received some good feedback so far. So thank you to The Hub, Karen Horsmeyer, and Medium, which is, for those who may not know, an online publishing platform. Nice. Our friend Luke Estrican works there, and I have published on the platform. It is easy to use and has a very nice graphical options good way to call out quotes and that sort of thing. Very cool. It's a great company. Started by the Evan Williams, uh, one of the co-founders of Twitter. Indeed. Indeed. So more about them in the future. But <clears> uh, for now, we are uh, still in the midst of the sponsor drive. So please reach out to us at the run TMC podcast at gmail.com or at our website, the run TMC podcast.com or any other means of communication that may work for you. So that is sponsorship, Dave, and let's get to content. So we're going to put the glossary up front today, and I'm going to let you go first with gapping it. Yeah, so our guest today is Coach Jonas Honick, my high school coach from Branson, 700 wins, a legendary coach, and this is something that he always talked about. And in our conversation today, he brought this up, and it, it just brought back, brought back memories for me. Gapping it is a defensive strategy basically duff to gap it i would never gap it against you let's put it that way gapping it is when you're guarding somebody on the wing and you're sagging off them and kind of protecting the the gap so they don't penetrate but you're sort of faking at them at the same time xander mcdally did this to me and stole the ball seven times against me stunting stunt it's stunting same idea so it's basically a strategy where you're you're daring somebody to shoot an outside shot because you really don't want them to penetrate. So that's called gapping it. And we were talking about it with with Honick later today, uh, later in this discussion about playing teams that are really talented and how do you stop them? And one way to to do that is sort of gap it. So thought that would be useful for our listeners to understand. Good. What do you got, Duff? I got roll and replace or pick and roll and replace. So this is a pretty simple offensive set that uses the standard pick and roll often at the top of the key with a big down below usually starting at the low block opposite low block if the pick and roll is going to be skewed to one side or the other and as the pick and roll is occurring the guy on the low block will come up sort of 
slowly kind of move up to the top of the key so it can be there as a pick and pop. And in the meantime, you have the the big who's setting the screen up top rolling. But then if there's a swing of the ball, say the initial roll's not there, mm-hmm. the ball could be swung to the, the rim and then you have empty space. And so you could have a secondary post look from the roll and replace. So it's a pick, pick and roll and replace. If you want to see it online, Villanova runs this really well. So yeah, roll and replace. Excellent. I like that one. Cool. Okay, moving on. We're going to do a quick CYO update, right, Duff? That's what I have in my script here, Dave. Yeah, so CYO, we're, we're in the thick of it. I believe we're three weeks into the season. I'm coaching sixth grade B girls CYO. It's been a lot of fun coaching my daughter. But it's it's great to see I've made my way around the, the county on some weekends to see some friends' teams play. The kids are really into it. Seems like numbers are good. A lot of teams are are in the mix. And and this is a fun time of year, right? It, I know it's raining outside and people are depressed with the rain, but it's a great excuse to go inside and watch some some basketball. Okay, a few more updates. C- a couple things that are Marin specific and a couple things that are more broader, just sort of news about basketball that we thought it would be good to talk about. The first one's a really great story. Tara Vanderveer, Stanford women's basketball coach for many, many years, has set the record. She is now the winningest coach, Duff, in NCAA history, men or women. Uh, well one, 1,203 wins, breaking the record held by Coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, who has spent many years at Duke prior to that Army. I've mentioned this way too many times. I, When I was in college, I was a practice player for the Stanford women's team. I, I was in practice every day with Coach Vanderveer. She had a huge impact on me. Attention to detail, motivation, leadership, just basketball knowledge and passion basketball nerds out there if you really love to watch basketball and you love when we talk about glossary stuff or talk about the x's and o's watch the stanford women play watch the sets that they run watch their motion watch their fundamentals watch their out of bounds plays they're just really fun to watch and vanderveer does an amazing job she has a fantastic staff kate pay tempe brown katie Stedding, great people and coaches. And then we got a few Marine connections, right? We have our guest, Brooke Smith. I've heard of her. You've heard of Brooke Smith. Jennifer Azey. Heard of her. Lives in Marin. Maybe we could get her on. Not early 90s? Is that when? She was early 90s or late 80s. Yeah. Late 80s. And then obviously. first getting good, right? Exactly. Yeah, when they first got started. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was early 90s. And then finally, we got Carly Amborn, who. Heard of her. Uh, she gonna, went for 36. That's that was my next my next line there is Carly last night our San Domenico girls team had a great win against Lake Wilmerding and Carly dropped 36. Why don't we um, make her player of the week? We haven't done that in a while. I think I'm, I think that's a great call. We've had a lot of great performances from high school kids around the county the last couple of weeks but but Carly was special and I actually was texting with the Stanford assistant coach last night and I gave her the news and I said uh, you got yourself a good one and she said we know. So Great job, Carly, and really huge congratulations to Tara. I just think it's really cool that the winningest coach in college basketball history right now is a woman. I think that's a, an awesome that's thing awesome. for the sport. So, While we're talking about winning, we should also mention that friend of the pod, Mike Fulton, is closing in, I believe, on 600 career wins, so he's almost halfway there. <laughs> he's been doing it for a long time and doing it very well. Yeah, That's I, amazing. I 1,200 think, wins, wow. Yeah, I, I think Fulton's at He's over 590. I think he's at 592 or 593. So I'm hoping we can get him to 600 this year. 
which is which is incredible. And our and our guest, as I mentioned in today's episode, Jonas Honick had 700 wins at Branson. Yeah. So, Duff, speaking of winning, I just want to shout out your Archie Williams boys had an unbelievable come from behind win last night. Yeah, we don't like to make it easy. I, I won't go uh, in too much in depth here because it might give me some angina, Dave. But uh, yeah, we were down 21 points in the third quarter to, to Nevada. They were shooting the lights out. Josh DeVore, who's going to be a guest, we're going to interview him and his dad this weekend, actually. Yeah. He played a great game, especially the first half, hit four three-pointers from deep. And they, yeah, they were just kicking our butts. And I'm not exactly sure how we came back, Dave, but it was kind of one bucket at a time. And we we had to battle through the the fact that Owen Bugas picked up his fourth foul with a, a minute 30 into the third quarter. Hmm. We brought him back with three minutes to go in the third, and he was able to finish the game great. with the four fouls. He said, just on the sideline, he said, you have to trust me. Guys, you have to trust me. And so, you did. And we did. So, yeah, we great win for us. Felt bad for Nevada because they played great. And, you know, they, they they probably deserved to win that game. But we'll take it. And so we're 4-1 and one in, in league. And so we have a reasonable chance of uh, moving towards the playoffs. Just got to win a couple more games. Coaches love to talk about body language and how important it is. And that's a perfect example, right? I, I wasn't at your game, unfortunately, but down 20 late in the game, I'm sure your kids were not hanging their heads, saying up, it's over, and thinking about what they were going to do that night. You just chip away at it. Yep. Don't give up. They were getting in the passing lanes. That's what they were doing. They were getting in the passing lanes. There you lane, go. And we were getting buckets off of the fast. So great, great win. The, the league continues. It's just so fun. High school sports is so fun. And speaking of high school sports, I thought quick rankings update. I thought this was cool. I was looking at Max Preps this morning. The Branson boys are number 14 in the state overall, all divisions. So strength of schedule is one of the highest in the state. They beat Monterey Trail by 20 last week. That was a huge win. They're just, they're playing great and, you know, very much in the running to be in the open division championship tournament later in the, in the season. So they play Marin Catholic tonight. This is Wednesday, Dave. This podcast will yep. probably air Thursday. But they play Win Catholic tonight. So another another topic that we t- we touch on in this episode with with Honick, right? Was you just you brought up? Hey, how, how would you defend right. Branson? <laughs> uh, I thought that I thought that was great. Yeah. One one other note: the top ranked Marin girls team in the state is Marin Catholic at number seventy seven, and I expect them to climb. MC, you know the the Max Preps rankings are not totally. They're not all that, Dave. Like, for example, we're ranked behind Mount Diablo in the Division 5 rankings. We beat Mount Diablo by 15, and yet they're ranked higher than we are, and we have a higher strength of schedule. So, where where is LFG, our over-35 league team? Where are we ranked? I think we're in the Alaska rankings. I don't think we're ranked in California. I wanted to point out the McDonald's All-American game rosters came out, Duff, and while there were no Marin kids on it, Brooke Smith's record remains intact. There were three prolific prep players, and our guest today, Jonas Honick, is one of the assistant coaches at Prolific Prep. And we talk about Prolific, it's a basketball academy up in Napa. So three players from the same high school team made the McDonald's All-American roster for the West. That was pretty amazing. Zoom Diallo, who's going to University of Washington, Darion Reed, who's going to Alabama, and Aiden Shirell, who's also going to Alabama. Good for them. Congratulations. And I still want to know what you get when you go to that banquet. And whether they're serving anything other a lot of than nu- Big Macs. A lot of nuggets. I think you get a lot of nuggets. 
And then the last thing I wanted to point out, this is a not so happy update. I, I assume people saw that Warriors assistant coach Dehan Milojevic, I call him Deki, died suddenly of a heart attack at a team dinner in Salt Lake City. It was after a Warrior game. Just an awful development. Deki was, according to all the people who knew him, just a really warm, positive force. I loved seeing him. He was always sitting behind the bench and just devastating. And I thought Steve Kerr said some beautiful things in his press conference. I listened to Draymond Green's podcast yesterday. He he talked about Decky and just what a positive force he was and what a great teacher of the game. The NBA canceled two Warriors games last week to because the team was mourning. And also it just wasn't not only tragedy that he died, but it, it happened at a team event where players were around. So just my hearts go out to the Warriors family, to Decky's family, just super sad and just wanted to acknowledge it. Dave, I'll pause for just a public service announcement as someone in the medical field. And I mentioned angina earlier in a yeah. joking manner, because if I actually had real angina, I would do something about it. And we don't know whether Decky had any symptoms ahead of time or not. But our demographic listening to this is a demographic that unfortunately is at pretty reasonable high risk of heart yeah. disease and it may be sometimes rather silent so if you are noticing that you go out for a jog or bike ride or whatever and you're breathing harder or if you have shoulder pain or neck pain certainly chest pain you don't want to wait to get that checked out because Great. yeah that the waiting could end up in being on the ground with a massive heart attack so anyway i think it's something for us all to be cognizant of and you know sad sad situation but also a chance to yeah, to remind our listeners to take yep. care of themselves. Yeah, no, great point. And, and Decky was 46. So, you know, I know to some of you out there, that sounds old. That's not old. And that's so really, really sad. Thank you for that message, Duff. So with that, I'd like to get to our, our interview because this was a really interesting discussion. Again, our guest, Jonas Honick, coached at Branson for all in, in two different stints over 30 years, 700 wins, three state titles, just a, an amazing basketball mind. One of the best people I know to just sit around and talk basketball with. And we get coffee every now and then and and we just talk hoop. And then all of a sudden, 90 minutes are gone. Yeah, this is a fun interview. He had his pages of notes. And you know, after we were done with the interview, he's like, let's keep talking basketball. Yeah. And yeah, just a really, really fun conversation. And we just kind of scratched the surface of where we could go with it. I do, before we get to Jonas, I want to give a quick kenya update because kenya's doing something different today dave Ooh. oh wow she's got the stuffed tiger right and i think she wants to play fetch okay as long as she's not not sitting on my feet she's not snoring she's not making any gastrointestinal noises <laughs> so i think this is a win for all of us yep so anyway she's mixing it up awesome yeah all right let's get to the interview and then we'll catch up after duff yes sounds good thanks dave coach john sonic hello coach hey dave Good to see you again, and thank you for inviting me. Duff, thank you yeah. as well. Coach, you may or may not have been mentioned in a couple of these episodes. Ha! Well, there's a well, there's probably a lot to say, good and bad, that's for sure. No, it's all been it's all been good. So we have Coach Jonas Honick here. He's he's an absolute legend in in basketball. Coach, I'm gonna I'm gonna give your background to our listeners. I, I assume most of them know who you are, but just and even those who know who you are, they might not know the whole story with you. First, listeners mentioned this about 7,000 times. I played for Coach Honick at Branson. He was my coach. Yep. And he reminded us every day that he is not a Marin native. 
although I've been here for 40, close to 40 years. So are you, are you saying you've become soft? Over uh, uh, yeah. I would okay. say that I've probably become I'm more Marin than I am. I spent most, most of my adult life and all my adult life in Marin County. And so I'm more, a, more Marin County than I am Western Pennsylvania now. I but say. grew up in Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area. One small anecdote, Duff, you'll like this one. When I would turn the ball over and practice, coach would say that I was Bubby Brister. Mm-hmm. which was those of you over 40 who are NFL fans will know Bubby Rester. He was a turnover prone quarterback for the Steelers. I guess it's better than Cordell Stewart. Better than Cordell. Better than Cordell. Okay. Coach went to Harvard where he played division one basketball in the Ivy league. And after Harvard, that's when you started uh, teaching and coaching at Choate. That's right? correct. Yeah. Choate Rosemary hall, which is a great yeah. boarding school back East JFK. Go to Choate. JFK did go there. Other Absolutely. famous alums. Yeah. Adlai Stevenson. Adlai Stevenson. Yeah. yeah. You know, we had a few. So coach is a, and this was one of the things that I loved about playing for him. He's a great basketball mind, but he also was an academic. He taught history for years at Branson. Most popular class at Branson was his Vietnam class, was an amazing class. So we could talk about literature and history in addition to, you know, zone press. Coach, you moved west to take the Branson coaching job in 1980. That is correct. August of 1980, my wife and I moved out here. My wife is a graduate of Stanford University I've heard of law it. school. Okay. And that's the reason why we moved out here. And it was going to be a, you know, three years and done. And then we expanded it to four years and then done. Yeah. What happened was it just a really kind of a weird thing. My wife was supposed to clerk for a federal judge. And the federal judge decided to step down, as they're prone to do, to go back into uh, private practice and, you know, quadruple his salary. And yeah. so my wife in the uh, spring of 1983 was a Stanford graduate, you know, a student, free agent. And so there were a lot of law firms that were, you know, both here and in New York uh, yeah. that were uh, after her. So we decided to stay here and give it a little bit of a go. And we finally had some money in our pocket and started enjoying the Bay Area. And then one year limited, two years to three years to four years. And then we became more accustomed to being here then. And now and 44 years later. Yeah, we here. are still here. Yeah. So you, you coached at Branson for, I believe it was 28 years, right? Did you leave in 08? The first time you left. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. After Oliver graduated in yeah, 08. Yeah, 08. And you took a, about an eight-year hiatus and then came back in 2016? Yeah, and I wasn't really planning on doing that. I think once I finished, I was yeah, I was done. Anthony Thomas, the, the AD, worked on me for like two years or three years, and I, I sort of caved. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, Well, but we had some success. That's your teams, and, and I was at almost all your games from 2016 to 2020 when you had that run and you had an unbelievable run with amazing talent, but then you did such a great job with them and you guys were competing for division one open division, right? Did, did yeah. Say? Yeah. We actually should have probably been into the open division because we were the two seed in division one and yeah. open division only took six teams that year. It, I think big reason was that we played really well at the Gridley tournament. Yeah, you know, and beat Dublin, and I think really what it came down to was that I think James Logan might have hit a three at the buzzer from half court to beat Dublin, which then caused all kinds of changes. And yeah, you know, I don't know. And ultimately, you guys lost to James Logan. We right? did, and we should have been a higher seed than they were. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. the our listeners who see Branson play today, and Branson's one of the top teams in the state, if not 
you know, probably on the list of the top teams in the country. Absolutely. That started with coach coming back in 2016 and that run of, of teams has led to the success today. So when you stepped away from Branson the second time, since that time, you've been working with prolific prep, right? You've been an assistant coach or advisor or what would you call yourself? (laughs) Well, I, you know, it's hard to say. I, I'm more of an advisor and assistant coach. I guess I'm listed as an assistant coach nowadays. So Bill McKnight, who's a brand, who's a Marin County guy, great guy, absolutely great guy, was the head coach of Prolific Prep going on his second tour a few years ago, a couple of years ago, in which he added Dan yeah. Bona that you mentioned yeah. and a few other guys. And he and Philippe Doherty, who's basically one of the founders of the of uh, prolific prep. Now, Philippe and I go way back to the days of Philippe was one of the founders of the Bay Area Hoosiers AAU team, hmm. and Oliver played for them. Okay, Oliver and McNally. I, yeah, Oliver yeah. McNally played for them, and I was actually helping coach a couple of the younger teams that that yeah. that were associated with the Bay Area Hoosiers. So Philippe said, "Look, if you're not doing anything, why don't you come up?" And and I did, and. And Bill and I had, you know, had known each other. Actually, I knew Bill from when he was a player, and sure. then he coached and beat us actually when he was at at Tam. Yeah, yeah. He had he had a couple of good players then. So Bill, everybody, Billy McKnight played for Redwood. Is currently Lavin's Steve Lavin's assistant at University yes. of San Diego. A great human, great guy. I saw him this summer. His sister Kirsten McKnight, great player, coaching at Westmont College. So yes. B- Billy's great, and he was one of the early guys at Prolific Prep. We're going to get into more yeah. Prolific Prep stuff, but he's had an amazing run. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's in, yeah, and he's just uh, you know, he's like one of my all-time favorite guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, coach won over 700 games in your Branson tenure over those many years. You have three state titles. Yep. You were 2008 California Division Five Coach of the Year, and then in 2019, you were the Cal High Sports Overall Coach of the Year in the state of California, which is quite an honor when you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing that honestly, when you get into coaching, you certainly don't get into uh, believing that you're gonna well, I want this award or I want it, that right. award or whatever. I think you just get into coaching the coach. And every now and then, I guess you get recognized. I guess it probably has, helps to have a few friends in the media maybe that can then, that can push your name. I don't I know. Don't, I don't think but, so. Yeah. I don't think yeah, so. I mean, it's, it was amazing to be, to be named Coach of the Year. It's actually a pretty, uh, pretty amazing thing. Our first Coach of the Year on the podcast, I believe, right? Have we have we missed a Coach of the Year and not recognized it? So we're we're on a nice run here. We had our we had the only McDonald's All American, and now we got our first Coach of the Year. I, I don't know if anybody else in Marin has been overall Coach of the Year in California. Hmm. We'll we'll follow. It should up. be though. We should have a staff yeah. of researchers and statisticians. Yeah. So as as I've mentioned many many times, I played for Coach Honick, one of the most impactful figures in my life. I learned more from the game, more about the game from you than. Then I even realized there's nobody better at breaking down a game. One of my favorite memories of coach was, it was March Madness, the Thursday, Friday of March Madness, the first weekend. You won't remember this, but I do. When all those games are on and I was in the Branson library and there was a TV and I was watching the game and you walked by, you poked your head in and you watched the game for 30 seconds and you said, I can't believe Indiana is trailing screens. And then you walked out. <laughs> and I was just sitting there dumbfounded. Like I've been watching this game for 10 minutes. I didn't notice that they were trailing screens, but so it was that kind of attention to detail that you had where I'm, I love going to warrior games with you and watching games and just hearing you. I just wanted to be a fly on the wall, listening to you analyze a game. Nobody does it better. And your teams were always amazing second half teams because you were so good at making halftime adjustments. 
Yeah, and I think you know the halftime adjustments were not about you need to play harder. Right? I mean, probably people thought that. Yeah. <laughs> For good reason. Right. But the reality of it is that, you know, was, all right, let's try to analyze what's going on and what kind of adjustments that we need to make, you know, offensively and defensively. And let's see if we can make these adjustments. And uh, and oftentimes that, you know, I mean, I remember being down in a, just recently, you know, with uh, Vic's team, we were down 15 early yeah. to uh, Redwood in the MCAL final. And, you know, we had, you know <laughs> we had to make a lot of adjustments. I mean, Redwood, first of all, was really good. And they were really well coached by Steve Campagno. Yeah. And they were playing basically at home. And they came out and just, you know, punched us right in the mouth. Yeah. This is going to sound a little arrogant, but I thought that we were still 15 to 20 points better than they were mm-hmm. at that time. And I said, okay, we're down 15. We're still 20 points better. So let's win the game by 20 between now and the end of the game. And, and we won did. by five. Actually, we didn't because they hit Peyton, a shot at the end. Didn't Peyton? Peyton hit a massive Peyton shot. Peyton hit a huge corner. shot in the corner. That yeah. was a, that was a pack in. That was a, that was a really fun, really fun game. Yeah. But you were you were so good at just. I never felt like we were out of the game when I played for you, even when we were playing in hostile environments in NorCal against bigger teams. Yeah, Duffy. Oh yeah. Finish your thought, but I was going to ask. And maybe you're getting there, Dave, but how did you develop that? The attention to detail and to be able to recognize, you know, what a team was doing, make adjustments, because it's got to be, because you, there's always the risk that you over adjust, right? Right. There's always the risk that you see the adjustment, but you can't communicate it in the time you have and you can't get your players to execute it. So obviously there's a, you know, this, you developed this over a long, long period of time, I would think. Yeah. I, I don't know. So let's say what's a motivating factor, fear, maybe. Fear of being outcoached, fear of, of being outprepared, fear of, you know, not having my guys ready the way they need to be ready, I think. I don't know if fear is the right word, but, you know, I think also just sort of like maybe ego and pride, want to make sure that my guys were as well prepared as they could be and, 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 and trying to get them ready for most situations. And if I, and, and if my guys weren't ready for any particular situation could be a diamond one press because we hadn't practiced it or a two, two, one or a one, three, one, or somebody throw some junk at us. I mean, coach Piro went uh, blocks one against us with David. Listen, I had not anticipated that. And it took us, you know, this was uh, Ryan Duck's team and and Nick Price. I mean, it took us like a whole half to make an adjustment and, and, you know, I'm trying to coach it as we're, we're going, but you know, I got, I got caught with my pants down there. I mean, we weren't really well prepared for it. And, and you know, I think it was that, that sort of stuff that I just try to be ready for all sort of, you know, circumstances that can, can occur during a game. And, you know, I don't know, the attention to detail, I don't know, maybe even some of it comes from teaching. You know, that, you know, details are important even when, you, when you're teaching that, you know, okay, yeah, I'm trying to teach some overall important concepts at the yeah. same time. You know, details matter as to why events occur the way they occurred. You, know? you, you, and Duff, that's a, it's a great question. It kind of, yeah. it's a good segue into kind of the first topic I want to talk about because I'll just close it out by saying that your, your team's hallmarks were disciplined, fundamental, tough, skilled, right? You just had, you, defensive rotations were perfect. Your teams were really well coached. And you had great basketball IQ in your players. And I think some of that was you 
attracted players who wanted to play for you and had good basketball IQ, but you also instilled that in them. So let's fast forward from your Branson days where you coach guys like me who had no athletic ability but liked the game to today where you're at Prolific Prep and you're, I mean, to our listeners who don't know Prolific Prep, it's a basketball academy in Napa right. and it's yeah. one of the top, what are you guys, top five schools in the country? Yeah, I mean, I think, right, overall. I think right now they're ranked third in, not in ESPN. ESPN dropped us to seven and I think Max Preps has us at three. Okay, so one of the best schools in the country, yeah. the level of talent at Prolific Prep, everybody who's playing on that team is going to be playing in college some somewhere, likely have multiple NBA players on your roster today. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. This this roster probably has three, if not four, NBA players on it, potential NBA players. So how do you deal with, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're this old school guy, Western Pennsylvania, Harvard, you know, you're playing old school fundamental basketball. And now you're dealing with modern players where the game is much different today than it was when we were at Branson 40 years ago. Talk about the difference in coaching today and the level of talent that you're dealing with at Prolific Prep versus coaching me 40 years ago, oh, okay. 30 years ago. Yeah, so that's a good question. First of all, I'm not the head coach. Okay. And that makes a massive difference. So I am not the one who decides playing time, yeah. touches, I don't call plays. All I have to be is basically supportive of the guys. And I think the guys kind of appreciate that. You know, so it's a completely different role and it's a good role. For and me. are you supportive? Because uh, coach, coach, what, this, this is it's a safe space to talk about. You you were tough. You, you were, if, if you made a mistake, if I made a mistake on the court, I was informed in no uncertain terms that I made a mistake. So as the assistant coach, are you getting on guys or are you the positive one? I want to preface his answer. Yeah. I looked it up. Bobby Brister, 81 career touchdowns, 78 career interceptions. Yeah, so he's 50-50. Yeah. 50-50. Yeah. Dave, 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> field goal to turnover percentage is probably similar in that. Okay, yeah, anyway, I wouldn't go there. Thank you for that, Duffy. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, and they may surprise you. but uh, And actually, I think. It, it might be fair to say that I certainly coasted a little differently, actually a lot differently, the uh, second time around yeah. no, I than that. I did the first time. In fact, Dave Liss and Ryan Duck and Wes and Wes Newhouse. Wes Newhouse, yeah. Yeah. A few of those guys came to one of our early practices, I think over Thanksgiving or something like that. Yeah. And he was, they were just looking at me like, Coach, are you feeling okay? What? I mean, yeah. Who are what? you? Who are you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> look, look at these guys, a different group of guys, you know? Yeah. So you have to be, and you know, the reality of it is the, the prolific guys aren't a whole lot different. I mean, you know, they all have as, as touted as they are, they want to get better. They want to be coached for the most part. Yeah. They have insecurities, some, and I mean, it may not show. Right. Uh, and I, you know, they need support because say, you know, they have some doubts as well. And, uh, it's easy for me to, you know, ask them how they doing, you know, how they feel mentally, how they feel physically, you know, what have you been working on? Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that I can be really encouraging, you know, because I mean, guys pass up shots that they shouldn't even at that level and, or guys are, are pressing, trying to do too much at yeah. that level. So I get to be able to do that. And then I also get to be able to spend some time with the coaches and say, okay, here are some things that I'm observing that, you know, if you, if you want, because I can't make that decision for them. Yeah. 
you know. Do you do you see yeah. the so the game today? We talk about this all yeah. the time, right? It's a five out positionless free flowing motion, which I think is good. And by the way, we ran five out when I was yes. played for you thirty years ago, right? I right. think it was called three, right? That was our yeah. our five out. Do you think the players today are better skill wise than they were? back in the fundamental wise i think so i do i think because uh, and i'll tell you why and then i'm gonna i'm gonna go to my first first thing that i wrote down actually one of the first things i wrote down yeah yeah i think that they're really good they're really really good skill wise because there you have a lot of individual trainers right i mean you should see <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean the prolific guys have high level professional trainers yeah you know i mean aj debansa who's the number one kid in the junior class. I mean, you know, he's getting trained by guys who trained NBA guys, yeah. you know. And listeners, he's, and the one, yeah. he's the number one kid in the junior class in the country. In the country, yeah. Yeah. And he's really good. Like, I mean, he's he's really good. And, you know, same thing with Tyron Stokes. But same yeah. thing with all these other guys. Uh, you know, they all have trainers. You can rest assured that Cooper Flagg, yeah. uh, you know, of course, it has, you know, has a lot of people working with him. But do they have a feel for the game? All right. So let me get to this. Yeah. Okay. So that's a phrase so, that you always love to use. Yes. Okay. So what I wrote down was, if I can find it. Yes. Okay. So there's a guy by the name of, and you'll appreciate this stuff, Arson Wenger. Now, who's Arson Wenger? Arson Wenger is the former coach of the Arsenal football club in the English Premier League. Legendary. Right. And in fact, they're the only team, I think, he coached the only team that never lost a game in the premiership. Right. So Wenger's, he's a legendary coach. And he, I've been, I've been looking for like my whole life for a phrase yeah. to sum up what I kind of like believe. And I can never, you know, will it down. And so here's what he said The game itself is a good teacher. All right. So what did he mean by that? So he says, You know, the guys today are really good. Right. They're really skilled. They all come up through the academies. They all get the training. Said, but they don't go out in the park and play anymore. Exactly. And I've been complaining to Isaiah, my son, yeah, for years that the problem with players today, and it's the only problem I have with them, because I think they're really, really good, and they really care, and they they're not a whole lot different from the guys from the past. They don't play any pickup. Yeah. The prolific guys don't play pickup. And I thought that one thing that, and Isaiah told me this, he said, the one thing that I think distinguished Branson from other places, and I think Archie Williams actually had that for years when it was Drake, you know, was that they played pickup. We played pickup all the time. Absolutely. And the pickup teaches you so many things. <clears throat> like, you know, teaches you pecking order, um, you know, game situations, 9-9, nine, nine, and the wrong guy shoots it. Or the wrong guy has the ball in his hands, you know, and you want to stay on the court. And yeah. of course, then you catch a lot of crap, not from a coach, but from your peers, you know. And and, and so I think that if there's anything missing yeah. from today's <clears throat> players, yeah, it's that they don't play pickup. Another recurring theme we talk yeah. about a lot. And, yeah. we, and you know, we had Tom Poser and John Granucci on, yeah. and we talked about that. And I mean, John, Tom Poser is probably one of the greatest pickup players in the history of Marin County. Absolutely. By and the way, probably no, the greatest is. We got to mention his name. Bucky. Yeah, Buck Chavez. Right? I mean, you know, come on. Yeah. No, but, and John <clears throat> Granucci said it. I love the way he phrased it. He just said, you got to kind of carve out a space for yourself on the court. Yeah. When you're playing against, and I remember, coach, when I was at Branson, you would have us play pickup with, we called them the old guys. Yeah. They were all probably 25. 
you know, it's right. funny what what old is when right. you're right. Asking. Exactly. But you have a bunch of alums come down on Saturday mornings and play pickup, and we would show up and play against them, and they'd kick our ass, and they'd push us down, and and they weren't better players. They weren't better players, but they were tougher, right. and you just you kind of learn how to find a space for yourself. And I've many times been in pickup games where it's tight, and if you lose, you got to sit for 30 minutes. You better win, and I'm not taking that shot. I'm giving it to Duffy to take that shot. Right. Because yeah, I mean, look, the bottom line is Duffy's a better shooter than I am. So I, we got to be smart. Exactly. Are I mean, you going to need a screen though, Dave? Just, <laughs> we'll, we'll, do some, we'll do some get action. I'll pass it to you and I'll like, you a screen. Yeah. Hey, come on. Dave can, Dave, with Dave's handles, he can get into the paint and, and then exactly, yeah. kick out. And you know, you just got a warm up shot from three. A AJ, I mean, just, AJ defense has nothing on me. No, nothing. AJ has nothing on you. Of course. But, you know, it, the other thing about, and, and take my Alani use of Drake. Of course. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I, you know, I don't. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I don't want to. I don't really want to insult anybody. I really don't. Yes. And I'm not trying to be facetious at all. We call it Drake. It was Drake before it was. But you know, there was like an oral history there. Yeah. You know, and 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 by that I mean, like you know, I mean, the Chavez boys ran it and they passed it on for another generation. You know, and passed it on to another generation, and and it, you know, there was a reason why those guys had an edge on everybody yeah because it was it, it was a cultural thing too and that that oral history of of learning how to play passed on from the ogs right down to the next generation <laughs> the next generation that is just getting lost and it and i think that i mean if you talk to college coaches and you talk to pro coaches the whole idea of feel for the game i mean you know, all you have to do is look at jonathan kaminga you know, and I don't like to pick on Jonathan. Yeah. He doesn't have a great feel right now. No. He still has to learn how to read people, understand games, understand situations. And, you know, he's he's probably a little behind there. But I'm, I'm sure Jonathan didn't play a whole lot of pickup. Well, there's a difference, too, and I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. But when you think about – because a counter argument would be, okay, these kids are all – they're playing AAU, right? They're playing club basketball all year round. But when you're playing in an AAU game and you're in a gym with a bunch of D1 coaches looking at you – you're trying to showcase your skills. You don't really care about winning that game. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there's some of that for sure. Whereas yeah. pickup, you want to win, so you yeah. can stay on the court. Yeah, know, it's it, different... no, and it's and it's just different in a lot in a lot of other ways too. Like I don't have a problem with AAU. I think really AAU can really help people. I think it helped uh, help Jace Butler this summer. Sure, he had a terrific AAU season, and the reason why everybody kind of like got really excited about him, including Illinois. Was was that you know he started making shots and so he had a chance to showcase that he can shoot from three you know given his body and his skill set and stuff like that you know that yeah you look like you could be a a Big Ten player Carly you know? Amborn who plays for me yeah. at San Domenico had an unbelievable AAU season she got all these offers because yeah. she was coaches saw her and and they saw her play with really good players and saw how she compliments them right and that did it was huge for her yeah so. yeah and so I mean I think there real there's real value in it. At the same time, you know, if you play pickup on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and you play for like three hours or so, which was not unusual, two and a half, three hours, yeah. and you get a lot of time on the court, right? And you spend that three hours getting touches and running up and down and reading the game. Whereas an AAU game, you might even get two games a day yeah. sometimes, right? But really, how much playing time are you? Know, how, Great it, point. It, yeah. But you, you're spending an equal amount of time. And you're on the court for eight minutes or ten. Yeah, minutes. and you're not on the court for very much. So, so it it it, it hurts you in that respect. 
especially yeah. if you're not one of the featured guys. And you're driving to and from Vacaville and yeah, Fairfield right. and you're stopping just, at Chick-fil-A on the way right. and on the way back, you know, for <laughs> like 17 minutes of playing time total. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, for a lot of kids, it's like that. And, right? and for a lot of kids, it's like that. And you know what? You know, I'm, I hate to, but again, I still like AU and, and I, and, and there's value in it, but you know, I think, you know, you don't play as much as you need to play. Yeah. You really just don't. So when you're at prolific, like an old you know, man there. No, it's great. Hey, it's we're all old men here, yeah. Coach. Yeah. Yes, duh. I want to now hijack this interview. Good. We're going to play Branson tomorrow. Our strategy is we're going to let Jace shoot and we're going to let TT shoot. Can you take down that strategy and build up a new one for us? Well, I think that you have to decide. Nothing's going rogue. <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> I think what you have to decide is that 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 actually, <laughs> I'll do a little name dropping. I go for it. All right. Prolific on Sunday in Springfield, Mass, is playing Montverde. Okay, that's Cooper Flag. That's Cooper Flag. <laughs> and four other really good players. Right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One going to Georgia. Yeah. Right. One guy who's going to go to Baylor who'll probably be their starting guard next year. Right. Another guy who's not signed, but he'll probably, you know, he's he's a he's a top twenty five kid. Right. And, and 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 having a kid that's going to Indiana as a shooter, right? I mean, they're really really good. Yeah. All right. All right. So the question is, what do you do? Who who pick your poison? Who do you want to to beat you? Right? Do you so you play Cooper Flag really hard, and do you play McNeely, who's going to Indiana, who's a shooter really hard? Yeah. Right. And back off on the other guys and say, okay, you guys have to beat us. In the meantime, you're letting a guy, you know, so like, what do you do with Branson? Do you play TT really, really hard? And do you play Jace really, really hard and say, Finley, you're going to have to beat us tonight, you know, or one of the other guys, Joaquin or, you know, I don't even know who's their fifth starter now. DJ. A DJ starting for them. Right. They're so deep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. But so, I mean, so honestly, I'd probably, you know, I, I would you know, concentrate on you know on their two elite players and and then try to have one of the guys who's not used to being you know the man right be the man that night yeah. and you know maybe you go triangle him too. Not that I want to give you any <laughs> advice, well, but I think we're, but, we're open to anything. But and you we know, just want to hold up to less than ten alley oops. You know, we 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 played. Our Santa Monica, we played Long Beach Poly last week. Oh, geez, and imagine they're just unbelievable. And they're, right. you Are know, they it's 4,000, 5,000 yeah. student school. Yeah. We're 300 student school, right? And we watched video on them, and Fulton and I were talking about, like, all right, they're all really good. They're all really athletic. They all can shoot. Right. In the grand scheme, we'd rather they beat us from the outside than they, they could penetrate and get to the basket. Yeah. So our game plan was just play yeah, kind of pack line defense. Yeah. And beat yeah. us from the outside. Yeah. Get in the gaps. And we owe it. If your player didn't have the ball, you have a foot in the key. And the first yeah. quarter, they didn't know what to do. They were totally confused. They clearly had not watched any video on us. They didn't care who we were. They thought they were going to win the game by 50 by showing up. Yeah. And we were up at the end of the first quarter and they were totally confused. Now they ended up beating us by, you know, 15. But we basically said, okay, in the grand scheme, we'd rather they beat us from the outside than beat us from the inside. So right. we had, we're screwed either way. They're just better. But we kind of kept it, kept in the game that way. So sometimes stuff, you just got to. Yeah. And maybe you play those two guys hard and the, the three other guys, you know, you gap it. Yeah. You know, and, and of course, you know, if they are taking shots from the outside, you got to rebound it, right. you know. And you don't want no live ball turnovers. Yeah. Right. Against them. 
and better get back on defense. Yeah, they're so right. fast. So yeah, yeah quick yeah. quick glossary for our our listeners. And I talk about this all the time with our San Domenico girls, which I got from Coach Honick. Live ball turnover versus a dead ball turnover. A live ball turnover is you throw a pass, it's intercepted, the other team's going down the other way for a layup. A dead ball turnover is a travel or you throw the ball out of bounds. So it's a turnover, but the other team is inbounding the ball. You have a chance to set up your defense. Live ball turnovers are really bad. They're yeah. killer. They're killers, especially against really athletic, really fast teams like Branson. So when they press, they want those live ball turnovers. You're much better getting a 10-second call, dead ball turnover. 100%. Take yeah. the 10-second call. Take yeah. the five-second call. Right. Right. On the outbounds. And at least have a chance to set up your defense. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, it has, doesn't change much for, you know, it doesn't change much on any level. I mean, we're talking about the exact same stuff for Sunday's game against Montverde. Yeah. You know, no live ball turnovers or else it's, and they are so fast. Yeah. Right. And this team that we played a few weeks ago, Link Academy, who's really, really good. I mean, their guards are unbelievable. Yeah. Right. And this kid Johnson, you know, Trey Johnson's the top five kid in the country. He's so fast. And if you can have a live ball turnover, it's a layup down the other end, you know. But look at the Warriors. Why do the Warriors get in trouble? Live ball turnovers, you know. Absolutely. Just an absolute killer. That Nuggets yeah. game, I mean, they were up 18, five minutes left. They're just, the, the turnovers were killers in that game. That's a yeah, that's another that's another topic. Right, we can, <laughs> um, we okay. can spend all day. On I want to I want to get back to yeah. so just I want to close the loop on prolific hijacking is over. No, I, that's I, fine. I retreat. No, I, yeah. Very helpful. That yeah. was a great tangent. Yeah. No, I I'm good with that. Great yeah. tangent. Okay, so I, I want coach. I want you to drop some names here. You you've right. you and I get coffee sometimes, and I love hearing about the coaches that come through the door at prolific to recruit. And you're the guy. You've got the gray hair, right? You're you can talk hoop with anybody. So you're a perfect guy to sit down with Bill Self and Mick Cronin. But so talk about Calipari. You know who else has come through and who some of your favorite stories. <laughs> so I'll give you a, a funny story, right? <laughs> and that's you know, Coach Miller, formerly of Arizona, yeah. who's now Sean at, Miller, yeah, Sean Miller, who's now at at Xavier. Xavier. And we had a kid that uh, his kid Trey Green who was with us last year was at at Xavier. So that's why he came out. A few times just to make sure, you know, things, and they just do that. So he's a Pittsburgh guy. Of course. Went to Pitt, right? Went to Pitt. And they had good teams there. So I, you know, I started talking to him. He said, where are you from? I said, New Kensington, Pennsylvania. He goes, oh. And I said, my high school coach was Mike Rice. Okay. And he just burst out laughing. I said, why? He goes, Mike Rice was my, my first AAU coach. Oh, wow. Because Mike Rice's son... And Sean Miller were the same age. Okay. Now Mike Rice's son is also a Division One coach. If you know it's anything awesome. about him, yeah. yeah. Okay, so he was at Robert Morris, and then he went to Rutgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, he got he, he got let go by Rutgers. Okay. <laughs> there was a video of him kicking a ball at a player or something like that. Okay. And of course, I looked at it and knowing his dad saying. What's the deal? Or what's, what's, what's the problem? What's the issue? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know his dad? <laughs> right. <laughs> so Mike Rice actually is he's an interesting guy. He ended up being the head coach at Duquesne in Youngstown State. And then he became the TV analyst for the the uh, Portland Trailblazers. And Steve Javi, who's a official, official pretty yeah. famous yeah. official, yeah. Yeah. actually ran Mike out of the game through Mike Rice out of a, out of a out of an NBA game. The only announcer that I think that's ever happened to. <laughs> now this is my high school coach. Yeah. So and believe it or not, I'm sort of moderate 
compared to what Mike was. Let's just put it that way. I he have, played a, I have a shocked look on my face, right. listeners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he played at Duquesne and was known to be, quote, fiery. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Spinning some vinegar. So oh. so that was a funny, that was actually a funny story. Yeah. But that's where you're great, right? Because you yeah. have that that wealth of knowledge and you can relate to these guys. And, and Cal Perry was a really good friends of a guy that I played basketball with, this kid, Jimmy Elias, who was also, he was an assistant at Robert Morris when, you know, California's from Moon Township. Robin Morris is yeah. right. Is, is, that's where it is. And so those those guys knew each other from their five star camp days. Okay. And so you know, we were able to sort of. I was able to break the ice there and yeah, and talk about them. I mean, they're sort of contemporaries as well. Sure. Yeah. So actually, that's that's a good segue. You talk about you as a player. Let's let's talk about you as a player real quick. Because <laughs> I've seen you play. You played against us. You were really good. And even though when you were playing with us, you were, I don't know, how old are you? Forty. Or yeah, I was probably pretty old. Yeah. Whatever. Did you get recruited out of high school? I did by a few teams. What what kind of player were you? Like what what was your were you just hard nosed, take the charge? Yeah, I was I was sort of an energy guy. I also was probably a better ball handler than I am now, obviously, or was that you know, when yeah. you played, you know, a little right. bit better ball handler, a decent passer, probably uh, certainly a pass first, shoot second guy. I probably made a mistake there, you know, for my own development. I mean, I, I had games in high school where I was like eight for eight and seven for seven from the field and stuff like that. Got to take so more I, shots. I didn't take <laughs> enough shots. So, so I could shoot. I didn't shoot enough. I don't know exactly why that was, you know, your own insecurities, maybe, I don't know, but maybe just the way we played. And then, uh, so I had a couple like University of Delaware, Marshall University. I'll tell you a quick story about Marshall in a second. Rice University. And actually, believe it or not, because my because Mike Rice was good friends with the, the head coach at the University of Wisconsin, I had an offer there. Oh, wow. They weren't very good. Okay. They were last in the so most big, days. It was Big Ten. Yeah, it was Big Ten. But they weren't very good. Then. Yeah. So how did you end up at Harvard? That's uh, a long story there, too. My brother went to Harvard. Okay. And he played football there. And he was an all-Ivy football player. And so I was on their radar, mainly because... And who was, who was the coach at Harvard? Seth Sanders. Oh, okay. Okay. And so that's how I got to know Don Nelson, because they played together with the Celtics. And right. they actually ran a camp. I've known Don Nelson since I was a freshman in college. So your yeah. whole basketball ethos and your strategy, your style of play, was that... Formed by your high school coach, by Satch Sanders. Like, what? How did you learn the game to be such a? You're so analytical about it. Where did that come from? I I think I think I put a lot of time in because good or bad, it may be bad. I, I I I winning was important to me, and maybe it was way too important. I think in yeah. retrospect, you know. But I, we can talk about that. Yeah. And and I. I, I just felt that a lot of times, like the Harvard teams that we, our Harvard teams, my first two years were really, really good, but we lost a lot of close games against some really good t- teams. Yeah. And, you know, it was always something small, you know, you know, a breakdown. Right. At the wrong time. And the other team's talent would then take over or something like that. And I, I, I think that when it came to coaching, I, I don't know, I, I just, felt that as a player I didn't pay enough attention to detail <laughs> which didn't which made me not as good as I should have been and I think that when I first started coaching I'm going back to my chote days yeah that I 
I wanted to make sure that that my guys had information that I didn't have. I think that's probably what motivated. I mean, you I'm trying to be honest. You you were every possession mattered when when I played for you, right? I mean, like, and and part of that was, no. you know, there was no shot clock. And I and I will say this: the game is better with a shot clock, and it's better with a three point. Yeah, and it's better for everyone. Like teams on all levels just more fun and it's more fun and it's just yeah. better you have to coach you know back in the old days it was easy being a coach like it's when i was at choke yeah yeah let's say the little hypothetical right you're good at hypotheticals aren't you you're up five four minutes five minutes left okay. and i learned this by playing against princeton yeah right game's over game's over yeah just hold the ball right. yeah we've got you know first thing got good ball handlers first thing passers. i learned first thing i learned was from princeton Take a minute off. You can hear Pete Carrill. Take a minute off. So if they're up five with seven to go, you're not winning. You're just not going to win, right? Because they're going to take a minute off and then get a layup, right? Or the second line was take a minute off, nothing but a layup, right? So now let's think about this. You go up five. Now you're up seven. To lose, it's a four-possession game because <laughs> there's no three-point line. Right. right. <clears throat> and there's no shot clock. Yeah. And you can drop back into a two, three zone and not give up layups. Right. Because if Packet. you give up, right. if you give up a, a long jumper, who cares? Still two points. Right. Like it was easy. If you had a guard, if you had guards and guards can make foul shots. Foul yeah. shots. Right. Yeah. That, that's yeah, a yeah, yeah, variable. That. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, look at, look at Dean Smith with all that talent. He still went four, four corners. corners. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Phil Ford. <laughs> you know, take over. Well, I tell this story all the time. And it's just, it I mean, was easier. Yeah. I mean, it was just easier. My, my more fun s- to watch now, right? Oh, a hundred <laughs> times. And it's, it's better to coach. You're, you have to be a better coach today than you did back then. Because the guys miss foul shot. Oh, it's not on me. You know, my strategy was fine, yeah. actually. <laughs> I mean, we would win games. You know, our Branson, my Branson team, you know, we went to the NorCal championship, right? Kept running into Emeryville. But yeah. we, we would beat teams that were so much bigger and so much more athletic and skilled than we were because we were so disciplined. We'd hold the ball for 40 seconds, get a layup. They'd come down, shoot a quick one. We'd hold it for 40 seconds. I mean, our time of possession Right. Was I know that's a football it, concept. It's, was, it's the old Steelers ground game with Franco Harris. It, when exactly. I was growing up. <laughs> exactly. But we could compete with anybody because we were so but you had to have the discipline and the decision making and you had to and, and that's kind of you know, I, it was one of the but questions we had I really had. Good guards when you were there. We were really good. Yeah, Charles Hovler was unbelievable. Hans Keeling, we had yeah, we had those a, guys were I mean, they were they were division one athletes. They were amazing. They were amazing. Yeah. And and that was the other thing. It's they made those layups or when they took the shot, they made it. But I knew, but but your senior year, I mean, we had yeah. four Stanford guys on the team. We were smart. That's that's right? a good point. And it wasn't like Lars is it was shabby. <laughs> that's that's, that's right. true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Being a U dub guy. So speaking <laughs> speaking of the, the the those Branson years, you built these tough teams. And how do you motivate kids to produce for you because you you have this there's a balance right of i, I don't know punishment is the right word but so, okay you make a mistake you're coming out or you you make a mistake hey coach is going to get on you but he's going to let you play through it like how do you strike that balance of getting the most out of a team balancing kind of punishment versus inspiration or motivation i don't know yeah it's I, a hard balance right no it is and i think that i think that 
if there's anything I regret, is that that I had a hard time at times accepting players where they were at that particular time in their development yeah. as a person and as a player. And I probably tried to rush it and push it and try to get people to where I thought they could be. Yeah. Instead of just letting the process play out. I think if there's anything that, if there was an adjustment I made the second time around was that I think I was a little bit, a lot more patient about that. Yeah. You know, I think as a coach, you just have to say, this is who the guy is and we're going to make the best out of it. Totally. I don't think I did that very well often enough. And, and I think that was a real mistake. I think that with the shot clock today and the three point line, I think it allows you to be a little bit more, yeah. uh, I don't I hate to use the word tolerant, but patient maybe, and allow for more growth to take place organically than, than with, you know, yeah. with the shot clock. And tangent, you can cut this part off if you want. You know, Mick Cronin's going bonkers down in UCLA. UCLA right now. Yeah. You know, because his guys are like he has this vision of how he wants his team to play, and his guys are not playing that way. And you know, it's like I don't know if they, I don't know if he has the group of guys that can actually play the way he wants them to play. Huh. So what do you do? Yeah. You know, other than melting down and losing to Cal and Stanford back to back at home at college. Like, hey, well, as a Stanford fan, I mean, I'll take it. Hey, no, I mean, and Stanford, I mean, they're really well coached. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're really well coached. They are, they are. You know, so I, so I think that, like, that today, I think you have to, and I think it should have been, it should have always been the case that you have to allow people to play through mistakes and, yeah, and, 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 and not have them looking over at you. I think it's, and plus it's no fun. Like if you're always on edge as a player, you're not going to play your best. One of the hardest things I think as a coach, and I've learned this as, as a coach, and I think back to you all the time, is instilling in your kids the knowledge of what's a good shot and what's a great shot, right? And so we want kids to feel empowered to shoot. And have confidence and play and play. No, you exactly, mean, you have to have a sense of empowerment. Absolutely, but you know, Duffy and I are on the court together. The ball swings to me. I have an open shot. Cool. I could do one more to Duffy in the corner. He's a much better shooter than I am. That's a great shot. Mine's a decent oh, shot, right? Well, because you can teach next one, right? I mean, I'm sure you use that language, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. you can teach next one, right? And 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 that means that means Curry can even do a next one. Sure. Right. If you can get him to buy into that, which, you know, he would, right? Or Clay. Go ahead. Duck, duck, go. The shot I don't like from you, Dave, is when you go into the lane, you know, contested mid-range, and then you just, you you jump and you just go sideways on your jump. Yeah. You, well, that's a moving target. Let's yeah. spend like a half hour talking that's about That's a really hard shot for anyone to hit. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I would say what makes it because we spent a lot of time this year with our young team on shot selection and we want less than five mid ranges a game, even if they're open. But like we want like like a lot of people say with analytics, we want threes and twos. Corner threes are better. But the film helps so much. You can watch clip it and just show them over and over again. Like, look how that's a contested two. You're off balance. And of course, it doesn't go in. And then you look at the shot chart and your effective field goal percentage and you show them the number. Like, this is how often we score when we shoot at open three. This yeah. is how often this is how often we score when it's contested two. They, you do that enough, they seem to, smart kids will get it. We talk a lot as well with our team about how, like, you know, we could bring the ball up the court, pass it to the wing, 
have them shoot a three. That's not a great shot. We could bring it up, pass, swing, swing, get it into the paint, kick back out, same exact shot. That's a great shot. You right. made the defense work. You've got some touches. Yeah, I and I still use this line with with the prolific guys and maybe the coaching staff more than the players. And and that is that it's easy to settle for the quick and easy. Right. You say I mean, it all, just, you yeah, say it just all time. Really, you know, and but you know, you can shoot yourself. I mean, you could be down twelve nothing right. early if you're selling for quick and easy. So I I I think points in the paint. And and I think you know if you look at the Warriors this year, I think part of the one of the big weaknesses is that they don't get enough points in the paint. And it looked like they were going to make they were making an adjustment to yeah. get points in the paint for a couple games. And then I guess they got away from. I didn't watch the game last night. Yeah, but I guess they got away from it last night. But uh, I think you have to get paint touches. Right? Absolutely. And 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 that's on all levels. You just really have to attack the paint. So the mid range, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself old school, but I have a little different take on it, and I'm not so sure I want my guards going in all the time and getting challenged by big guys and getting knocked on the ground. Yeah. So like, if you're in the paint and you like pull up, or if it's a little floater, yeah, then I'm, I'm like okay with that. You know, because maybe you have a chance for an offensive rebound if the defense comes up, you know, so it's like a pat, you know. Yeah. I, I, and like Jalen Suggs, I was watching, uh, I was watching those guys play and they had a chance to beat, like, I don't know, I can't remember who it was, Boston, somebody good. Plays for the Orlando Magic. Yeah. And last play of the game, gets the ball in the wing, passes up an open jumper, has no mid range game or no pull up game or no, you know, yeah. goes right into traffic and nothing happens. Yeah. And they lose. Right, it's like because he had no, he he had no other option, and you I got to keep him honest. Yeah, and I think he needed another point. option, yeah. and so I'm not necessarily saying it's the two dribble pull up, although Montverde kids do that. But I, you know, I think I think that points in the paint and is a little different than just layups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the layups, yeah. the layups are sort of like uncontested layups. Okay, fine. But contested layups versus a clean look from 12 or 10 or something, it's like, you know, I kind of like the clean look. Fulton and I are instilling in our guards that a pull-up jumper is a good thing. Because our, our kids tend to try to drive in and shoot off-balance shots. Yeah, I mean, and, and, in the traffic. And, in traffic, yeah. yeah. But you want it in the, you know, in the paint or the around paint. the paint, not, yeah, yeah, not 18 no, feet. Correct. No, exactly. Correct. Right. I mean, you know, and that's, that's been true. Like, you know, like the worst shot is a your foot on the line. Yeah. Or the line too. Right. Okay. And I agree with that. Yeah. 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 So coach, our, our teams at Branson years ago, we ran really simple frameworks on offense. We ran five out, we ran flex and we ran pass and screen away. Yeah. That was our offense. Right. Later days. When you came back and I would go to your games, and maybe this was this was you adjusting to the new normal. Maybe some of it was your studly assistant coach Stevie Johnson, but you guys had more sets. We did a combination of the quick hitters are were primarily Stevie's responsibility. Yeah, you know, I just sort of said we need some quick hitters, and he would come up with them. Yeah, I was more of the guy that wanted the five out with the you know the DHOs and yeah, you know, some action like that. Right, empty. I think it's 
could be used on all levels. Explain what empty is. Okay, so just empty out a side and you know run clear pick out. and roll, clear out, and then you can run a pick and roll on that side from either way. But but you know I love the way the Warriors are doing it. They're sending Clay through, and then they're sending him off a double. You know they yeah. just loop him around and then play out play out of that. And it's it's I think it's it's really hard to cover. I think five outs really hard to cover. Although we also did a lot of four out motion yep. with the guy in the dunker spot, which yep. even gives you more space. Um, and it's like it's being used in the pro. Russell Russell Westbrook is playing in the dunker spot a lot. Yeah. It's a good spot for him. And the it's dunker spot, spot. Listeners, yeah. uh, you know, along the baseline, kind of we call it, the, used to call it the short corner. Yeah. Right? Right. Right. And so it's... Yeah, language has changed a little. Yeah. People who have more athletic ability than I do can theoretically dunk from there. It could also right. be the power layup spot, too. Yes. There we go. Yeah. No, and I think it's a good for place. For me, it's the floater spot. And, and it's a good place to hide somebody who can finish, and it's not a great ball handler. Right. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, but who's an effective player, you know. Otherwise, yeah. But yeah. it's it's interesting. So related to this, we had Kevin Vasquez on, you know, who's Redwood assistant yeah. coach, great guy. His son Jake's a great player for Redwood, and Kevin played yeah. at Davis for Bob Williams, who was a he's legendary, phenomenal coach. Yeah. And one of the things I asked Kevin, like, what did you learn from from Bob? And he, one of the things that he pointed out was, every day in practice, they would spend 15 minutes doing just sets, five on zero, running through their sets, running through their sets. He said. Later in the season, whenever they needed a bucket, they had repped it so much they could get a good shot. It was all manufactured. It was all quick hitters, but he'd run it so much. And it's 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 interesting. Like, what's your philosophy on manufacturing shots like that with quick hitters versus just teaching the kids read and react? Honestly, I think you need to do both. Yeah, if you can. I think you do need sets, and I think you do need sets out of organization. I think the hard thing for kids you know at our level and high school level yeah certainly you know mcal level i think the hard thing for guys to realize is that plays are designed to create structure and you play out of it and they never get to the next part they, they think that i think and maybe maybe you see this more often than than let's say uh, you know some of the mcal teams yeah boys teams is that there's a play supposed to produce an end result and they don't it doesn't always happen right <laughs> and so like okay now what do you do now what do you do so the play is divide is providing some structure and maybe in the first 15 or 20 seconds you know if it doesn't produce an end result what do you do you got to play out of it play basketball yeah, you yeah have to you're play not a robot yeah and so that yeah and so that okay all right so the play is now broken down or something happens right you just don't get the shot off right they have you scouted right yeah somebody fumbles the ball Right, right. The timing is off, right? And and so, okay, like, what do you do? Like, you know, you got to play out of it. Like, we've provided some structure, now play out of it. Yeah. But then hopefully the defense is a little tired or maybe yeah. one guy's Attack. out of position or maybe right. one person stops, right. you know, paying attention to their man just a little bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you are if, if you don't know what to do, attack. Just attack. Attack the paint. You Absolutely. Know, you know, get into the paint. Make a play. Like, that's okay. Yeah. So you are, I, w- I want to, I want to talk yeah. a bit about practice planning because your your practices were, I mean, in, in hindsight, I didn't appreciate it when I was in them. We're talking, <laughs> talking practices. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reference. Your your practices were like college practices. I mean, we we had these unbelievable drills. You were very prepared. I remember I, as we walked in here, I was joking. You have a notepad with your notes. It's bringing me back to 
you know, you'd walk into the gym with your yellow kind of pitted underneath you. You're like, I'm getting nervous. nervous, You'd put the (laughs) yellow notepad down on the bleachers and I would go take a quick look and see, all right, what do we got today? What are we doing? Are we doing, are we running sprints today? What's, what's going on? Sprints is interesting. I stopped doing them. What's really, can you go back in time 30 years ago? And I wish I could because, you know, most, I mean, I mean, I, if we did sprints, it was sort of like up and back. That's it. You know, I, I, may, I, I might do it for five minutes, but it was only up and back, maybe up and back twice. I like with, when with I'm 20 running seconds in between. Yeah. So when I'm running practice, I like conditioning our kids, but conditioning them through the drills that we're running. Same. Right. right. So, you know, you have drills are free hard. Two on two passing, Georgia drill. I mean, brutal. yeah. It, no, it was some hard. of those drills are really hard. Really hard. That six point deny out in the wing, play to post and weak side and play one on one. I mean, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'm just going to say, you know, since I've been doing a lot of coaching the last few years, I can't tell you how many times I've had seen another coach do a drill like Tom Poser or Russ Bauer. Yeah. And I'll be like, that's a great drill. And the response often is, that's a Jonas drill. Jonas. <laughs> uh, so we, the 2v2 passing, we do that in practice almost yeah. every day. And it, it, he calls it UFC drill. And yeah. Well, also, the uh, you guys would talk to Owen and Russ about the energy drill. Right? Yeah. They called the energy, energy drill. drill. Yeah. That was your, that was your, that was your and so I stole that from Jesse Haskins. We, we steal everything. The coaches, yeah, right. coaches steal. So how, how does your <laughs> so that, sprints, it's interesting. So you, yeah. you already hit on it. 30 years ago, end of practice, we're running suicides. Yeah. Right. I didn't have my guys do one suicide the second time around and probably hadn't done suicides in a long time. Okay. What if their energy is low though? What's your, yeah, what's yeah. exactly, how do you, because that's when we use them or when I would use them as if it's just like, you know, yeah, yeah, well, you, know, you change so, a drill. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's, there are days that you just have to work around it. I think when there are going to be days like Mondays, my guess is for you guys, from what I remember, really tough weekend. Yeah. First day back to school over the weekend, you know, crashing a little bit, a little tired. Energy's low. Energy's low, even though you're preparing for a game the next day. Yeah. Like it, it's, that can be a challenge. Wednesdays could be okay. Yeah. You know, maybe after a game or something like that. So I think that, well, what I like to do, and I haven't been able to convince the guys that prolific by the way they're the young coaches at prolific right now are really really good by the way yeah i mean they're yeah do you like the practice plans yeah yeah i mean he's really well organized yeah and like they're really modern which is i mean and i mean that in a really positive way yeah in terms of how they break down film and film clips and you know their preparation and their language and you know the sets they run every you know defenses i mean everything they're doing is really really up to date i mean these guys are getting a high level of instruction i mean there's no question now you can do more with them too right the players but i mean they do a really 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 good job but you know i think they probably they have a you know they're a little old school in the sense that they do have these guys run 33s and stuff like that you know and it's like <laughs> i'm like i i got and saw is that is that like a seventeen? What's that? Yeah, I mean, well, thir- thirty-three seconds, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Whatever, you know something like yeah, something. Yeah. And I, I've gotten a little soft, I guess. You know, like I, I think, okay, you want to, you want to get guys tired one-on-one full court. That was, oh, God. right? I mean, that tires you out. Exhausting. It's a hard drill, you know, or two-on-two full court, or even three-on-three full court. Absolutely. Add four and four yeah. full court. All right. So yeah. what are what are yeah. your favorite in, in hindsight now? If you're you're having a practice, you're running a practice. What are your favorite drills? Well, 
I, I think it's, it's more of a crunch time question. Sorry, Duff, but I want to. Okay, so I mean, I, you know, that's a, again, I, I think it really depends on depends on a lot of factors. First of all, it depends on the mood of the coach. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Here's a story. You can edit it if you want. I think this might have been one of the, one of the last times that I actually had guys run a lot. And it was Gene and Justy, and it was a Saturday. And Gene Barnes, Justin Holzer. Gene Barnes, Great Justin Holzer. Really good team. Yeah. Really good team. Early 2000s. Yeah. Actually, this might have been 99. Okay. Or juniors, sophomores or juniors. And and it was, they were just, they were just being little poos on a Saturday morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who yeah. knows? They probably stayed out all night. Like, yeah. Yes. High school kids. And I said, okay, line it up. Like nobody's paying attention. Line up. Blah, 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 blah. And then it, I said, put 30 seconds up there. Right. Okay. And then Justy mouse off. I said, okay, put a minute up there. And then somebody else says something. I said, okay, put two minutes up there. Right. Somehow we get up to like 40 minutes. No, I'm not going to spend 40 minutes of practice with these guys. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but they're running. And, and again, it depends on what your mood is. Right. And I asked Justy, I said, Justy, why do you think I'm doing this? And he goes, well, I got to get a shape discipline. I said, no, nah, it just makes me feel better to watch you guys suffer. You know, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of tongue in cheek and we stopped doing it after that and we yeah. got back to practice. But, you know, I mean, so what is your mood as a coach? Like, what do you think you need to do that particular day based on right. what has been going on w- with your team? Like, at the same time, I, I you know, I tried to, eventually got better at this, I think, was that back in the old days when you could count on a game on Tuesday and a game on Friday, yeah. and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Right. Like, I mean, you could really actually do some preparation and practice and, and, and coaching. So if it was a two-day week, which I think was much better for everybody, you could spend two days on individual work, like let's say Saturday and Wednesday, right? after games that we're going to do stuff that's going to be all individual. And that may mean one-on-one full court, but also maybe one-on-one half court. It could be some shooting, shooting drills, right. yeah, like, you know, whatever it is, but it's it very, very little team concepts. Maybe you, if it's Saturday, you know, you, you do a little scrimmage at the end or something like that and have them do some shooting contests for Gatorades or something like that. And the same thing on Wednesday. And then you spend your, your, your Thursday or Monday, in day terms before of the game, yeah. game for yeah, preparation yeah. and stuff like that and do team concepts and stuff like that. And I kind of really like that, and, you know, and getting into that sort of rhythm. And, and I'm, and I, and I've been working and trying to convince the guys at, at prolific to do that. But see, prolific is prolific is different. Cause like they played all their games on the weekends. Okay. And they also lose a day traveling. Right. Right. I mean, Wednesday they're getting on a plane, they're going to Boston. Right. A couple of weeks ago, you know, we were in South Carolina, you know, at the Chick-fil-A. And, and, you know, so, you know, and then it's, that's hard to practice playing around. With. It's hard to practice playing around. It really is. Yeah. So it's a, it's just a weird rhythm, but I mean, that's kind of what I like to do. And then also sort of shuffle it up a little bit, you know, change your warm up. Although there were, there were some staples. I always still like doing three man passing as my warm up, full court, three man passing. We have 40, no, no, we 40 around. Yeah, I'm in 40 row. Yeah. Russ, have you guys do that? Yeah. 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 And I think that's really, I think that's actually a valuable warm up because it gets guys up and down the court. They have to catch and finish. Yeah. So there's a goal. 
gets their heart rate up, they break a sweat, and then you can break into stuff like that. You know, and there's so, the pure, you know, you don't want to be the guy who misses. You don't want like to you're that. going and for so protection. Yeah. yeah there's pressure. It's not the full court, so you pass, pass back, pass the other guy, lay yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, we, we, I call that San Antonio because I saw Popovich said that. Okay. But yeah, same yeah. idea. And he probably took it from me. I mean, you know, I'm sure he Pop did. And I go, wait, no. Of course you do. <laughs> he worships you, Coach. If you, <laughs> if you want a little story, though, not with me and Pop, but Dave listen, Pop. Oh, tell me. Okay. I know he played at Claremont. Yes, he did. Or no, Pomona. 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 Sorry. Yeah. That was a Ooh. faux pas. How dare I? Yes. How dare All I? Player, player control. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm making a note Serious of it. I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, Stanford Duke, like, is there a difference? Right. I, mean, you know, I know. Come on. That was I mean, very you know, good. I mean, yeah, just kind of. All right. Tell your. So tell your just a quick story. So, you know, one of the better games that, that Branson was involved in was beating a really stacked Modesto Christian team in a NorCal final. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that team was stacked. And uh, it was every bit as good as most of the prolific teams, to be honest with you. Yeah. Maybe not quite, but pretty close, you know. And, you know, we ran a sideline out of bounds, played with seven seconds left called San Antonio. And, you know, I took it, I stole it from Pop watching, I was watching, I was watching an early NBA game on the, even had the lead pass back then or whatever it was, you know. And they ran a sideline out of bounds play and got a layup. And I said, I got to use that. So Dave Liss is working out at a gym in the in the in the, in the Spurs are in town and, and they're working out at the same time and Pop sits down next to him, yep. on a bike. And did Dave ever tell you this? No. Right. So he sits down next to the bike and he goes. David says, "Excuse me." He goes, "You know, I went to P- went to Pomona. I played for Coach Cassie Boss, Cassie Focus, something like that, right? Coach K, and who was Pop's assistant, right?" And so that broke the ice. Perfect. And he said, look, I got to tell you one quick story and I'll let you go. David said this and he goes, we ran a high school, a high school play called San, you know, for a sideline out of bounds. And, and, and we called it San Antonio. And he looked at him and he goes, why'd you call it San Antonio? And he said, my coach took it from you. <laughs> Pop goes, your high school coach watches the NBA because <laughs> that's all he does. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's great. So yeah, it was kind of a funny little story. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So let's talk about your the, the MCAL. So when I was playing for you, we were in the Bay Counties League, right? Which was fun. We played University, Merritt Academy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lick. Ballard, Lick Wilmerding. Had a great Urban. Had a, had Urban a, Royce. Good league. Yeah. Had Royce. That but, was a really good league, actually. But it was. It still is, actually. It's, it's a very good league. But, Underrated. you know, it Lots was. Lots of travel, though. A lot of travel. Was, uh, to and from Athenian could take like a half yes. day. Yeah. Yes. Woodside Priory. Definitely yes. down there. It was kind of a bummer to not play in, in the MCAL, right? And so I would agree with you on that. So you moved to the MCAL in the early 2000s. What, what were your thoughts on that and when you were at Branson? So I, it was driven by Ken Siebel and Evan Littleband's dad, who was the... Yeah, Peter. Peter was the head of the board at that time. They really pushed hard for it. And I thought it was going to be the best thing that ever happened to Branson Athletics. And I think it has been. It has, Absolutely. I always felt that our guys were really, you know, the kids at the school were really competitive and that, you know, the MCAL, you know, was sort of this league that, you know, was way above the Bay Counties League and stuff like that. And everybody thought, that, yeah, okay, we'll have Brands to come in and you know, kick their ass. Yeah. Two easy wins and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I just felt that our guys were competitive enough that, and I'll add to that, and that they would meet the, the challenge. But the other thing is, these are the guys that you want to play against. Like, really, do you care about any of the kids that are down in Athenian or Woodside Priory or even in a city where you don't 
you know, now the city guys all like going against each other. Sure. You know, like, and, and the Bay Counties League became more and more and more of a city centered. Yes. Conference, you know, and, you know, and they run the show. Right. And they, and so like, it was just better for everybody. It was better for travel. We didn't have to go across any bridges. It was better for, like, yeah, I mean, David, you wanted to play against the guys that you've been playing against since you were, you know, seven years old. We would, Whatever. and you did a good job. We would schedule, we played Redwood, we played Drake. Yeah. And I remember just really getting up for those games. Yeah. That was really, really fun. No. And I, yeah. And I, and I think it was, it ended up being really, really, you know, really good for Branson. I yeah. think it, and I probably helped their enrollment too. Yeah. So who were your biggest rivals in the MCAL when you were coaching the early 2000s when what? you guys made that move? MC was really good. Yeah. Right. I mean, Rick had some outstanding, I mean, just outstanding teams. Michael Turner. Yeah. Those teams. Yeah. Yeah. Khalil Bell. Vita. Nick Vita. Yeah. I still remember him. MCAL, it was, you know, the game was in the balance. Maybe, you know, one point, two point game. They were shooting a foul shot and missed. And Vita was on the, you know, on the, uh, on the second row of the foul line. And I still can see his body just rising up above everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Just pogoing up and getting the offense. He was on putting back and that kind of sealed the game for them. Yeah. And I mean, he was, yeah, he was just an amazing player, but I mean, he had other players that were really good too. Yep. So, and they were really, really well coached. I mean, I played hard. They were organized. I mean, Bob, Bobby Donlin could tell you that. You know, I mean, they were really good. You know, Redwood was good. Yeah. Look, and Steve Farshkin had some outstanding team. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he had some really, really, really well, we good had teams. We had Kenny Woodard and Jordan right. Lewis on. Jordan was really good. Jordan was really good. Kenny was really good. Yeah. Yeah, that was a couple of years later, right? That was like kind of late 2000s. Yeah. yeah. By the way, one, one little side note. Bob Donlin is just a great guy. I talked to him a lot. Phenomenal. Um, and I saw him couple days ago and I mentioned that we were going to have you on and he said he was really pleased when he was your assistant coach that you took his you really listened to him and you valued his opinion and took his suggestions and he said he was frankly initially kind of surprised by that because you're such a legend 700 wins three state titles all that stuff right that you you listened to your assistant coaches and and valued their opinion and he was a young guy at the time kind of starting his coaching career and he still remembers that. So, you know, Bob's a lot smarter than that. <laughs> Let's just be honest there, right? And he knows the league and he knows how to play and he brought a different perspective. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I wish he had been able to stay at Branson longer. That's just, yeah, you know, he did a great job and, and, and he was phenomenal. Great. Absolutely. And it, and it was fun to hear Tyler Gaffney talk about him too. And that, and that was that a was really a great fit, actually, Tyler and, well, that's what Tyler talked about. And it's, it's great, instructive for all the coaches out there. You know, Tyler, one of my favorite, I mean, all these interviews have been amazing, but Tyler, what he said about his, that his, his style, he wanted to be authentic to himself, right? That Tyler's but kind of a, to be if you're going to be a coach. I mean, you know, actually it's probably okay. true for anything, right? Yeah. You, know, yeah. you got to be who you yeah, are. Yeah. Unless you're maybe an actor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that just, Bob was a acting. kind Good of mild mannered. Good call on the actor. Yeah. yeah. Way to go, Duff. Bob was a gentle kind of mild mannered. He wasn't an alpha. And oh, Tyler, he wasn't. Are you kidding me? <laughs> of course he was. You, can, you think Bob didn't control that team? You think Bob didn't control the? He did it in a a quieter way. Well, all right. How's so, that? all right. 
So how many people have seen Banner Brothers? I've watched it. You know Banner Brothers? Of course. All right. Who's the alpha in Banner Brothers? Captain Winters. But he did it in a different way, didn't he? Yeah. Right. Like you could be an alpha and be tough as nails and non-negotiable on certain things and, you know, have your standards, but do it in a different way. Sure. I mean, there's a, so Bob's, Bob's an alpha, 100%. Yeah, Tyler's an alpha. That's what we talked about. This alpha disguised as a beta. That's exactly what they literally said. That yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, come on, Tyler. You think Tyler's not crazy competitive? Of course he's competitive. Yeah, and probably even crazy competitive in some ways. Yes, yes, he is. I'll mention the the number of times that I beat him in a shooting contest last year. Oh, I bet he's pissed about that. Yeah, twice. I was gonna say, did you really? (laughs) I did. Yeah, (laughs) we do that. Totally off topic, but you shoot six, you have to make, we've done this before, right? Yeah, six, six threes. Okay. On, and you can do it on multiple baskets. Then you have to go to another basket in a big gym. It's the first one, the first guy to make six. Everyone has their own ball. So you're just running around shooting right. threes. Really fun. Got yeah. a couple times. Tyler can shoot it. Many. So can Nuffy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right, coach, I had a question about yeah. coaching your kid. Whew. Oh, God. So we talked about this with Rick Winter. He coached his son, Brock, at Marin Catholic. You coached Isaiah at Branson. What was that like for you? I probably overcompensated trying to not. You didn't want to, you didn't want to be a peer to be favoring. Yeah. And I think that was not fair to Isaiah, to be honest with you. At the same time, I mean, he really came through for the team multiple times. He was huge. And what a yeah. great. Great guy, just an yeah. awesome person. Yeah, he, both your kids, Rachel and Isaiah, are both phenomenal humans. Yeah, they are. Yeah, probably thank my wife more about <laughs> that one. Have you played a lot of one-on-one or pickup with him leading so, up to coaching him? I, I, I did. Until then, I didn't. And it was time in the backyard where I just said, "This is not going well." Too competitive, or yeah, yeah. This is not going well. So I think maybe, I don't know, maybe I made a mistake there. Maybe I should have continued to play and instead of trying to let him find his own path. I mean, in some ways in the end, I think it worked out well. I mean, he had, I mean, he, he had some really big games and good games in absolutely in an important situation. And a state title team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what, what were you like as a parent? So when he's playing, CYO or youth basketball, were you coaching him then? Not really. I mean, I coached a little when they were at Mount Tam, just the Mount Tam team. Okay. It, you know, this is kind of weird. I was kind of like pushing. I wish there were, like, if there were a hockey rink, an ice rink here, <laughs> he probably would have gone that route. Yeah, played hockey. Yeah. Yeah. And so he did a lot of roller hockey and stuff like that. And I was not pushing him to basketball. And I don't know if that was good or bad. Like my daughter Rachel didn't play basketball, right? You know, and but and, when like she could have been okay, like a good player, because she was a good athlete. But when Isaiah's playing and you're not coaching, are you sitting in the stands? Are you saying anything? Or are you sitting there? Are you quiet? I have to be quiet, for sure. Yeah, you know, mumble a little bit to my wife, but but when he was at like at WashU or something like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, he played behind two guys that were really, really good. Like. One of them was a, actually, they were both ended up being D3 All-Americans. Oh, wow. So they both really were Ivy League players who decided to go to Washi rather than okay. go Ivy or something like that. Yeah. And high level. One of them was the starting point guard on John Shire's high school team. John Shire, current 
Duke coach. Yes. Played for and Coach K. This kid was a really good player. Yeah. And I mean, he was really outstanding. And, you know, they also, his freshman and sophomore year, they won a D3 uh, national championship. So that team was stacked. Yeah. Did Isaiah get any time? Not in those two teams. Yeah. I mean, that's, that yeah. sounds like. Yeah. yeah well, he's playing behind two, uh, these two guards that were, you know, the other kid was outstanding too. Yeah. I don't know if you heard our, our interview with Michelle Brabelli, yeah. but it was great when she talked about her dad. And I remember seeing this, her dad at the SR games would sit way up high and he wouldn't say anything, but he'd just have his legs crossed. And if he would uncross and recross his legs, she and Mike would say, oh crap, we did something wrong. Right, 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 right. right. That was, his, he was, but he was very respectful. Like he, he didn't say anything. He would just sit well, and that, that's, that's great. I mean, Coach Ravel, he's just an amazing guy. And, yeah. you know, in fact, I just saw him because Vic Rakovich and Seattle U yeah. played at USF, USF yep. a couple of weeks ago. And so I was talking to Coach before that and his wife, obviously, just, you know, talked to Michelle on the phone that night. You know, I mean, Michelle, I mean, did you ever get a chance to see her coach? Yeah. She was really good. I mean, really good in her demeanor. And like, she was a high level division one coach. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, she made choice not to go that route. Sure. It's fine. But I mean, she really, and her, just her, just her, like, I mean, she's a lot like her dad in that respect. I mean, just her ability to yeah. stay calm and tight situations and still be firm and get her message across and yeah fair and like she was really good love her I uh, too. yeah she's amazing all right coach we could we can talk for hours more but let's get to crunch time okay you don't want to talk about the state of the game right now What's, what, okay. yeah what, why don't you talk why don't you talk about the state of the game no i'm kidding you i'm just <laughs> messing with you toughest player you've ever coached against well that's a hard one you know, there's a photo of a guy by the name of Dave Levine. I've, I've met that guy. Yeah. And there's a photo in the IJ of this six-footer. 152 pounds, probably. Guarding a McDonald's All-American. Who's Dave Darnell, yeah. Seven feet. Seven feet. Went to Arkansas. Went to Arkansas. I shut that guy down. And I think those guys won the Chick-fil-A their senior year. Yes. Believe it or not. Yeah. They were a top 20 team in the country. And... Yeah, I mean, he went probably for 41 game against us, right? One game we decided to let him be the guy. We played him five times that year and lost all five. Although we played him close at our place. We played him really close at, at Branson. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, we did scare them. Yeah, we came within a couple possessions of winning that one. But uh, I think you told me one game, the first five times he touches the ball to foul him. Yeah. And I was not. trying to do the math. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Coach. <laughs> <laughs> Let's edit that part out. <laughs> So Darnell, how about in the MCAL, who who's the toughest we are coached against? At that again, you know, there were, there were just a lot of good players. I don't want to leave anybody out, but yeah. you know, from Nick Vita and and the M M C guys, yeah. but Jordan Lewis was really good. I mean, there were a lot of good players. Alex Pribble. Forget about him. We he we've already interviewed him. It'll it'll be live by the time your episode comes out. Yeah. Prib was Unbelievable player. Just a really, really, really good player. So competitive. And a phenomenal human being. What a great guy. Yeah, I'm so happy that he's a head coach and he deserves that and he's he's earned that. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a lot of really good players. Like, Marin County basketball is really good. Marin County sports, I mean, for, look at this. We had Jared Goff, right? The number one pick in the NFL. This is the NFL. Like, think about all the athletes yeah. <laughs> that are in the country, right? And the number one pick. Right. Yeah. As a Marine Catholic. As a Marine Catholic. Up in Nevada. Right. Nevada kid. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, so I mean, and 
And the number, look, the football teams that are winning state championships, the basketball teams that have won state championships out of, you know, and the number of baseball, volleyball, volleyball teams, right? Yeah. I mean, just think about baseball. Baseball might be the most competitive sport in, in the NCAL. Yeah. Top to bottom. It's really, really good. Man, we've had a ton of really good players come out. So, like, like it's a really good sports county. It really is. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Top three Branson players you ever coached. Ah, do I have to really go there? Yeah, just can't say Dave Levine because I, I was so okay. far away. Well, I have to say, else. I have to say, you know, Chris Green. Chris Green, absolutely. A listener of the pod, by the way. Okay. And... And a Division Three All-American. Division Three All-American. Unbelievable player. Who else would you go with? Oliver McNally. Played at Harvard. And they were ranked in the top 25. His senior year. Just played season. with Jeremy Lin, right? Jeremy did, Lin. Same backcourt. Yeah. Lin Sanity. Yeah. Oliver's one of my, Oliver's probably, I mean, I've watched all your teams play for years. I was a, I'm a proud alum. Oliver, probably my favorite Branson player to watch. Well. Just because he's so competitive, man. Well, you could look at it this way, too. His freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year, we all won Northern California <laughs> championship and played in the state championship game, and he won three out of those four. So there you go. His brother Xander wasn't bad either. No. I think his brother Xander could have been a starting free safety in the NFL. <laughs> the way he can be. I mentioned this on another, on another episode, <laughs> but Xander personally had, I think, six deals against me in an adult league game. And I was like, this sucks. So what do you do? Take it easy on you? Yeah, seriously. I mean, he could I have just, done it against anybody. Well, I think Duffy stopped passing me the ball. Yeah. Uh, well, our strategy playing against him, I think I mentioned this before, is if he's guarding you, you just go just to the go opposite the other corner. <laughs> get away. You take him away take as him. far as you yeah. possibly he'll can, and he'll still get three or four <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Who else? Sure. Give me another one. You give me one. Vic? Vic? Up there, obviously. Well, uh, Hovler. How about Hovler? One yeah. of the Hovlers. Both of the Hovlers. Right? Gene Barnes. The Hovlers were unbelievable. Gene Barnes, amazing. Played at UCLA. Yes. Okay. This is a tough one, Coach. Best Branson team ever. You're allowed to say the 1993 team featuring Dave Levine, Charles Hovler. Well, you know, that team may have had one of the better wins in the history of Branson basketball. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, we had a uh, couple great ones. Well, Rippon? Rippon Christian. I mean, we were down, right? Call timeout. Do you remember the play that we ran? No. The start our run? No, what was it? High ice. And who shot the ball? I'm going to guess Charles Hovler. How about Dan Pardee? Oh, Dan Pardee. How about Danny Pardee? My best friend, Dan Pardee. Also, Barry's the top of the three, uh, top of the key three, right? And we went on like a 26-0 run or something like that in that gym. Yeah. Hostile environment. Oh, it's unbelievable. Nor- NorCal. I think that was first round NorCal game. First or second round. Yeah, yeah first second round. And, Dan Pardee, and they were the ring awesome player. Division five state champions. Yes. And V. I got elbowed in the cheek in that game. And Tom Ryan gave me stitches at halftime. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I do remember stitches. that. Yeah. Because I'm tough. Yeah, so how about that game? That was that was a good one. All right, but what's your what's best, your best Branson team ever? Do you think? I'm. I'll have to go with. I guess I'll have to go with Isaiah and Xander Oliver Oliver's group. I think that team would have beaten Vic's team, even though Vic's team that would have been a really good battle. I think it would have been a really good battle. I just the guards were just a little bit bigger. Yeah. Than Calame and. Yep. I mean, with I mean then. Well, with well, Calame was a backup then with Oliver Sander and Isaiah, 
guards are a little bit bigger than Peyton and, and Quentin. And yep. So I don't know. I think maybe that'd be a difference. And Xander probably could have done a pretty good job on, uh, or even, I don't know. Xander could have done a good job on Vic. There were some great teams. Coach, favorite Jim and Marin? Huh. I'd have to go with probably Redwood simply because, you know, we had a lot of good memories there in, in Cal playoffs. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, in terms of history and yeah. you have to go with, with Archie and Drake. I mean, that place is, is pretty special. Very special, Jim. Agreed. Favorite coaching aphorism saying one-liner? I'll preface this by saying I still use do your work early. You always used to say that to yeah, us. That's, that's yeah, a good one. That's, that's a good, really one. good one. So uh, I'm going to go with one that's sort of sort of like off the wall-ish. Maybe not off the wall-ish. But I used to say it to Gene Barnes all the time. And they used to say, Gene, it's not about you. <laughs> and the only reason why I said that is that uh, he was playing, you know, he was playing for Lav and he was actually getting some, you know, until he got injured, he was actually doing really well. Yeah. And I got it, you know, I got a call after he played well one night and I got a call late at night. And he goes, coach, I just want to let you know, it's not all about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, yeah. we use another one of yours with the Tom Poser and John Grinichi one was, he used to say this to me all the time in practice when I would like flail for a dive for a ball and didn't get to say Levine flamboyant yet ineffective. <laughs> so I stole that one too. That one I stole. That one, it's not an original. I stole it from a guy by the name of Jack Marinan, who was a math teacher and, and soccer coach at, at Branson. And then he ended up getting married, moved east, and took a job at the Choate School in oh, Alfred, Connecticut. And has just recently re- retired. Beautiful. But I stole that from him. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, Coach, you're up three, less than 15 seconds. Are you fouling or are you playing straight up? Not to sound like the, the presidents of some esteemed universities, but it all does depend on context doesn't it <laughs> this, is, this is a congressional <laughs> hearing <laughs> all right so what do i mean i i mean i think the rule of thumb is under five seconds you file right okay isn't that sort of the rule of thumb and i'll, I'll i'm going to give you a, i'll give you two quick stories in, in a second uh i think that you have to feel confident enough that you're going to be able to get a defensive rebound Absolutely. That's a big part of it. And I think it's a really big part of it, you know? And so I think that has to, in terms of context, I think that has to go, like if they have beasts under there, they're going to push you right underneath and get an offensive rebound and put back on the free throw, free throw, then like maybe you take your chances. But at the same time, (laughs) we were playing Columbus high school from Florida that has the two boozer chins. Oh, brothers in it. Cameron. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're up, we're up three with eight seconds to go. This is this year. And uh, we're yelling foul, foul, foul. And we don't foul. Guy misses the foul. Jason Richardson's son <laughs> tries to the top of the key and just lets it fly between, you know, actually doesn't get that far. He's like halfway between, you know, the circle and the top of the key yeah. and banks into three to tie it up and lose an overtime. So you don't say to foul, your kids don't foul, and end up giving up a bank three. Well, at least they didn't foul on the three and cause you to lose. Well, that's, that's, yeah. Draymond Green. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. what also yeah. what Daryl Rory just mentioned to you in the in the Bam Bauer. There was a game. Who, who was it? The, but a team was up. Mills. Yes, a team was up three on the free throw line. 
several seconds to go, missed both free throws, and then fouled on a half court shot coming back the other way, goes in. And they oh. lost. And they lost at the buzzer and they so should lose on throw. a four point play. Ooh. <laughs> so that's so that was not an optimal end of games. But how about Chet, right? You know, Holmgren yeah. from, uh, you yeah. know, he buries the three and they don't foul, right? Because yeah. they allow a pass to go to the side instead of making it, right? And then, they say, oh, we're not going to let that happen again. That was that thing. Oh, man, that was it, brutal. <laughs> and you knew that he was going to make those yeah. three free throws. This yeah, Warriors but, team has had some of these other oh, losses. God. All right, Coach, last one. All Dream right. team, all-time Marin oh, starting I, five. I, you know, I wanted to sort of going into his notes. No, no, I wanted to pass on that. <laughs> you can pass. And the reason why is that I don't want to leave somebody out. And and that kind of, yeah. I've got a replacement know. question. Go ahead. Go. Down. All right. Because we've been talking about this, and you mentioned it earlier, Marin County Sports. And so the question is, we yeah now you're an outsider from Marin. We both grew up in Marin. We feel like Marin County basketball is something special. There's more history. There you know there are coaches and players that come out of the county, and that there's you know you know now there's a podcast about you know Marin County basketball. Is it really different than like say Sonoma or San Mateo, or do we just feel that way because we're deeply ingrained in it? No, I bet it is different. Look, I had a I, the going to the USF game. I went with John Burrow. Okay, so John Burrow and his backcourt mate was Jared Pirro. Yeah, at Redwood. Now think about this: John Burrow goes to USF. Jerry Pirro goes to Santa Clara. Santa Clara. Yeah. I mean, probably the best backcourt in the history. Yeah. Of Marin County, right? I mean, if if you think about it, I mean, there there's just a long history of really outstanding athletes and basketball players in particular coming out of this county. And and I think it's the, you know, you and maybe it's just the way the county is, you know, you have the southern part of the county, you have the central part of the county, you have the northern part of the county, and that kind of like plays a role as well, you know. And 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 it and it didn't get lost in the the turnover of Marin County from the days of the, you know, the 50s and 60s, maybe even early 70s, where it was still kind of middle classish. I mean, yeah, it was a little funky, but a little middle classish right. for sure, right? Right. You know, and that that's turned over to, you know, what it is today. Yeah. I always felt that we had a, an advantage at Branson over, at least I did over, you know, a lot of the other coaches because the coaches that were around that had the old old Marin County, then the new Marin County came in and they're like, how do I deal with these guys? It's like, I've been dealing with it for 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that gave us an edge in the, in the 2000s sure. when, when there was a, you know, and the whole thing's changing, but it hasn't been lost. Like, you know, look, look what Rick's doing with the NBBA and stuff like that. Yeah. And he's keeping, right. I mean, he's just doing a great job. Absolutely. With all that. Well, you know, you know Rick, Rick, we talked about particularly in the early 2000s in the MCAL, the coaches oh, yeah, Doug. were so good. D- Doug Donellan, Brett Tavani, Brett, you, you know, uh, Campagno, I Campagno. mean, you know, right. Steve Farbstein, incredible coaches. Yeah, Craig Pitty. Craig Pitty was a great coach. Really Absolutely. Coach. Absolutely. Really coach. We've been very fortunate to have incredible. And then on the, you know, we're not, we're spending a lot on the boys side because coach, you coach boys, but on the girls side, it's equally incredible. 100%. Talent coaches. We just had Brooke Smith on McDonald's All American. Yeah, I mean, we're amazing. very fortunate to have 
this community in Marin. Yeah. Yeah. I think if there's an unfortunate thing about Marin girls basketball is that a lot of the girls who normally went into basketball are going into volleyball today. Correct. Right. And that probably it's, is a little frustrating. It's depleting CYO programs. It's yeah. depleting freshman girls programs. And it's great. Volleyball is a great yeah. sport. And we've got, you know, absolute Marin volleyball. We have these great yeah. club programs and they're division one after division one players but you're right as someone who's coached coached girls and i had some really really good potential basketball players and they were so good at volleyball they they didn't focus as much on basketball and it's like what might have been i know (laughs) i know and it well you know and i look from from a parent's perspective the route to getting you know sort of some scholarship money in volleyball is a little easier than it is in basketball sure and i I don't mean easier but if you have 320 volleyball teams and i mean yeah yeah and on the boys side it's kind of water polo right yeah county exactly same dynamic yeah totally so i mean it's look i don't don't mean to see it i don't please don't take this the wrong way i don't mean it's unfortunate but i mean yeah it'd be nice to have some of those six footers plus Coach, you're telling me who. I'm coaching high school girls basketball. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. All right. Well, coach, so good to see you. So fun to talk hoop. We might have to do another round with you because I have about two pages of questions I didn't ask you. But well, we he didn't get through everything. I can I can confirm that. And who thought we'd end crunch time talking about volleyball? But you know, that's what well, you we, we took what the interview was yeah. giving us. Uh, but or the congressional hearing. Right? Yeah, right. Well, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, we're band of brothers. Thank you for the time. Yeah, I like that. Great to see you. Always fun to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Coach. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Coach. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Dave, it's not about you. Except for, actually, right now, it is about you. Oh. Because you played for Coach Honick, and I think getting your take first seems to be appropriate and fair. So... Let's hear it. And don't be as nice as you always are. I'm so nice. Kenya, what are you doing? Kenny growling? No. I thought it was, well, first of all, very fun to talk with Coach Honick. Very fun to have you, Duff, mic'd up. Yes, indeed. What a revelation. Right? We're making progress. Making progress. Thank you, sponsors. There you go, Dibs. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Honick is a great guy. So fun to to talk to. I mean, I, I will say, and I mentioned this in the interview, and I think I've mentioned this in prior discussions. I mean, Honick was tough to play for. Like he was a demanding coach. If you made a mistake, you'd get yelled at. He was he, tough to play against as well, Dave. I can tell you that. Very tough to play against. I I I don't doubt it. But I learned so much from him, and and I loved getting his take on today's players versus coaching 30, 40 years ago. I thought it was, I, you know, just thought of this one when he talked about, you know, 30 years ago before the shot clock, before the three point line, you're up five and there's four minutes left. The game's over. Game over. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. It was just, particularly if you had fundamental teams that could jump stop and pivot and handle the ball and get, you know, make good passes and cut back door. Yeah. And that therefore the games were in the twenties or thirties, but I liked his quote. Also, the game is a good teacher. And that was related to what we've talked about a lot, Duff, is just the lost art of pickup. Yep. I thought that was interesting. I don't know. What, yeah, what, a lot of, I mean, the coaching, coaching his son, you know, that we've, we've talked about that a few times now in the, the podcast, but that, you know, certainly resonated with, with me. And I thought he gave a very sort of honest perspective. Yeah. Of, you know, maybe how he might do it differently now. 
and sort of his evolution as a coach after sort of coming back to Branson and sort of having a different style. The no sprints at all in practice just totally, totally blew me away. I would have never, ever predicted that that was his approach. Shocking to me. That was, that was. But maybe he does push-ups. We didn't ask, we didn't, or, or wall sits or, or something else. He must do something. Well, I, I still remember one practice. I, I remember it vividly because I remember not sleeping, but we had a really bad game. We were in a tournament in San Francisco State. Dan Pardee will remember who we played. I can't remember the team. It was some team from the South Bay. But anyway, we got our butts kicked. And that was a Friday night. And as we're in the locker room, taking our shoes off, Honix said, all right, practice tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Be there. We're not even going to use basketballs. And we show up and it, it's, I think we had one basketball but it was one-on-one full court and two-on-two passing, which are these really hard drills. I mean, one-on-one full court is just basically you're in your defensive stance defending someone for the length of the court and back. It's, it's exhausting. It's worse than a sprint. And we had, you know, two hours of that. It was, I'll never forget that practice. It was the, I think it was the hardest physical experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I can, I can imagine. What else about coach? I, I would say very generous Justin, the little bit of time that we we spent with him, he gave me some good advice about, as we mentioned earlier, how about how to maybe go after the Branson team. And then afterwards, he offered to come hang out and watch one of our practices and give us you know some some tips and talk to the players. And I think that's probably going to happen next week. So here's a guy that when I was playing at Marin Academy, he kind of seemed like a sort of the, the evil empire mm-hmm. uh, to me. It turns out that was just kind of a teenagers perception but it's been cool to talk with my teammates from an academy who i think for a long time we just kind of you know held that you know perception because his teams were good and and he was intense on the court so many quotes that that he would say over and over again lines that he would say to us over and over again ingrained in me i find myself saying them just like you say things that your parents said to you when you were a kid do your work early oh always said that to us, Mm -hmm. meaning on defense, don't let someone cut in front of you. You got to do your work early and then you'll benefit. Don't fall for the quick and easy. He mentioned that in our discussion. I already talked about flamboyant and effective with Tom Poser and John Granucci. That's one of my, one of my favorites, but there are about 10 things that, that Honick always would say over and over again in practice. And now I find myself saying them as a coach, just like you'd say what your parents told you. I've been using Bubby Brister a lot more in my, in my day-to-day interactions. Please do. I, I can, I can tell you that most people don't remember who he, who he was as a player. It's a deep cut. It's a deep cut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Kotonic, for for joining us. Hopefully, our listeners, even if you don't know Coach or watched his teams play, hopefully you you got some interesting tidbits just on the game because he he knows the game really well. And I think we're going to have another discussion with him where we talk more about just in general his views on on the state of the game. We are going to have him back. We also need to give a prolific prep update. Oh, yes. So after our discussion with Coach, he got on a plane the next day, flew back east, and prolific played Montverde, which is the number one team in the country, with Cooper Flagg, the number one recruit in the country, who's going to Duke. Mm-hmm. They prolific played them really tough. They ended up losing. How many should they lose by, Duff? It was a, it was a close game. It might have been six or eight. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. It, it was closer than that, but it was... Really, really fun game. It was on ESPN. I think it was on ESPN too, but it lost by five points. I mean, he said Prolific was up late, but Montverde closed it out 
Both teams played very well, a very high-level high school game. And it was the first time that the number one ranked players in the senior, junior, and sophomore classes were all on the same court. So Cooper Flagg from Montverde and A.J. DeBensa and Tyron Stokes from Prolific. A couple of days ago, Prolific defeated Dream City from Glendale, Arizona. Two players going to Arizona on that team. And now Prolific is headed to Orlando this week for three games and a rematch against Montverde. So, and as I mentioned at the start of this episode, three Prolific prep players were named to the All-American right. squad yesterday. I don't want to play them. I'm going to put it right out there. It's nice to play good competition, but not that good. No. And... You know, Prolific is one of these basketball academies that popped up. They were traditionally on the East Coast, in the Northeast and in Florida. And Prolific was kind of the first one, to my knowledge, at least in Northern California. And it's just amazing how it's grown. And now you've got, you know, NBA players, really, really high profile, top five team in the country. And we're not kidding when we say that, you know, the top NCAA coaches are flying out, coming to Napa and meeting with Coach Honick to talk about prolific yeah. players. Seems to be the future. I'm not sure it's the most I- idyllic future, but it does seem to be the future. Yep. And speaking of futures, Kenya's stuffed tiger will be facing a future without the use of its right ear. Good work, Kenya. Sure, there's a medical term for that that you know, but you don't have to share it with us. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we're excited. We got some some great new interviews coming up. We had a few more people uh, confirm for us, which we're excited about. Going to be really cool. Yeah. Some non, even non basketball people, right? Well, former well, basketball players, current ma- major league baseball, major league baseball players. Yes, Will Venable is going to be on. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, the term is B E A, below the ear amputation. Okay, the the, the is silent. So That's B-A. a great glossary term. All right. Thanks, Duff. This has been the Run TMC podcast. Thank you for listening and for supporting us. Bird on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK. From Sam to Stinson all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day. The dead and